Hey everyone, welcome back to Staying Connected. This is Katie, your host, and today I have a special guest with us, Dr. Shireen Shalhoub, who is a vascular surgeon at UW Medical Center in Seattle, Washington. Tell everybody hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Katie, and hello, everybody. Um, so how did you get involved in VEDS? I am a vascular surgeon. So for those people who don't know what that means, it means I'm a plumber. So I operate in all the arteries in the body, outside the heart and outside the brain, so the rest of the body. And when I was in training, I took care of a patient with Marfan syndrome. That was my first exposure to somebody who had a genetically triggered aortic condition. Mm -hmm. And he was a young man and had this Marfan condition, and he had died from an aortic rupture. And that left a huge imprint on me. And made me think about what I wanted to do in vascular surgery. And as it happens, I've always been fascinated with genetic variation. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that this is an area that's not well studied. And then talking to Peter Byers, who is an expert in vascular aorostamilus syndrome, he ex exposed me to this whole population of people who are really could benefit from new knowledge and understanding their disease. Mm -hmm. And that just made sense. It clicked that that's exactly what I wanted study and who I wanted to be taken care of. So when was that? This was in 2009 or 10, Okay, around that time. He told me about that too. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to him earlier. So if you haven't listened to that episode, it either is about to be out or it already is out. So uh, take a listen to that too. Um, Peter Byers is the geneticist at UW that does a lot with beds too. Right. Um, so... You started meeting all these people with beds then, through Peter Byers and working with him. What has it been like working with us? So I'll have to backtrack a little bit of the yeah. background story. So my first job coming out of training was at the University of Texas in Houston, where Diana Milowitz is located, mm -hmm. and Dr. Hazem Safi, who's a surgeon there. And uh, I met her through Peter Byers. He said, you should meet this woman who's doing all this amazing research. And so I met her. And one of the first projects that she and Dr. Safi gave me was like, oh, here, look and write up our series of vascular illness patients. And through them, I met also Jim Black, who has worked with vascular illness uh, population. So I did that project. And then when I moved back to Seattle, I started working with Peter Byers. And then it, it did a second project with the Vascular Low Frequency Disease Consortium, again, looking at vascular illness patients. Mm -hmm. And my frustration in the limits of both projects had to do with having incomplete data and not having very robust long-term history or natural history. That was one component. And then the other component was, well, how do I make this better? Like, we have to be able to do something beyond just operating. And uh, that is when I realized that PCORI, which is Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, was actually offering grants. They're called engagement awards. And those are grants where you can go to them and say, I want to build a community to, to have patient-centered outcomes research. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed to be the perfect combination of saying, let's, you know, number one, help study the disease, but let's do it from a patient's perspective. So I applied for that grant, and that's how we started the Vascular Airless Downloads Collaborative. I have to say that the experience has exceeded anything <laughs> I ever imagined would come out of it, because I have met people who I consider now family, and that I love and adore, and um, on a personal level, it has been deeply, deeply satisfying. 
there seems like there's more there. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, it's just, it's very emotional for yeah. me. Not just the science, but the, the human connection. Yeah. Um, and we had talked about this. Like, I believe in holistic care, that it's my job, not just as a researcher or a physician, but it's my job to take care of the whole patient, not just their arteries. Uh, so I think, in my perspective, the Vascular Analysis Collaborative is, is about that. It's about the holistic care. It's about everything mm-hmm. of how can we make this all better for people who are affected. Um, so that has been deeply, deeply gratifying. And I, you and Peter are like family to me now. <laughs> like, and as many of the people that I've met have become like rapidly family to me. And how does that feel as a doctor, like having patients that feel like family? One of the nice things about being a surgeon is being able to compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. So when you're in the operating room, it's it's very the focus is on the operation and the technical components of the operation, mm-hmm. and that's separate from the emotional component that comes before and after the surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I being able to move back and forth between those spaces, I think, is very special, and it lets you do the job without being hampered by that. Um, frequently people will describe surgeons as being not emotionally invested (laughs) or people may say well how could you be emotionally invested and not burn out and what I tell my trainees and the medical students is it's this emotional investment that is the best antidote for burnout right because it makes it wonderful to wake up in the morning and you you can you're so motivated to be perfect and excellent in the OR but still be human outside of that I think you do a very good job of that. <laughs> I have to say, like, I I dote about you to everybody. But, like, Shireen, if you haven't, if you don't know this, like, Shireen has called hospitals on my behalf. And she's, with I, whenever, when I first got your number, you gave me your number in the first, like, appointment that I had with you. And I give all my vascular EDS patients my number. I'm like, okay, I'm... I'm afraid to use this number because I don't want her to hate me if I call with a question and it's silly, you know? So I just kind of tucked it away and then I was just like, maybe I should call Shireen. I don't really know. You know, I'm in the ER, but it's not that big of a deal. I'm not quite sure. And every time that I have called you, you're just like, what's going on? How's it going? Tell me what's going on. <laughs> what do you mean you're in the waiting room? <laughs> like, you know, and like, it's just been incredible to have such a strong advocate like you in my corner that cares, like clearly cares about all of us. And um, I don't know where I was going with that, but I just really appreciate it. <laughs> well, it, it's, and it's been wonderful. I mean, that's, you know, I do know of other surgeons who do give their numbers, and I have not had if anyone abuse that, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a wonderful thing. And the, and the way I feel about it is like, don't wonder alone. Right. I mean, if you're in trouble or in an emergency or something is happening, I can help cut through a lot of red tape. I can facilitate things. I can make sure that at least to the best extent possible, we we move things along. And for that reason, I think it's worthwhile. Um, You know, it's it's a wonderful thing to do. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's it's, it's the right thing to do. (laughs) So you've been involved with beds for much less time than Peter because Peter's been around for a longer time. (laughs) Um, But what kind of changes have you seen over the last 10 years or 
you know, like in the amount of time since when you started working with beds and now, because right now it feels to me like we're at like a, a tipping point to like something really, really exciting. I have to say I'm really excited about where we are now is where I had hoped that we would be when I applied for the grant. Mm-hmm. Um, and what has been amazing about this funding mechanism, and this is why I'm very passionate about PCORI as a mechanism for funding, it's because it allowed things to grow organically. I mean, there was directions, broad strokes of how to move forward, mm-hmm. but there wasn't micromanagement in the details. And we were able as a community to create the methodology to do this. Um, I mean, writing a paper to say, here's how you build community networks. I mean, it's a great blueprint for somebody maybe else with a rare disease. And there's a lot of rare diseases. Yeah. Uh, so that's been amazing. And we are at a tipping point. We're at a point where we've mobilized a lot of patients. We have the natural history study where we're enrolling people. Uh, we've built trust in the community. I hope that we have. I think we have. <laughs> and so that, and we're at a point where we can bring together the scientists to design the best potential study we can and then ask for funding. Um, and I think we're in good position to get funding to do this. So that's exciting. Yeah, that's exciting. And among the community, it just feels like we've got all of these people now in our corner. Like, there's no other way to describe it. It's like all of a sudden it feels like everybody wants to help us. Mm-hmm. And now we have the resources or we're about to have the resources to do really amazing things. So it's really exciting. Like, like so even since when I was diagnosed in 2017, I mean, that's only two years. And it's a major change from what I saw two years ago mm-hmm. to now. Just with, And I think the Vets Collaborative did, did have a lot to do with that because it brought all of these groups together that weren't together. Well, it gave us an opportunity to formalize things, right? Mm-hmm. To, to be structured, to be... Uh, what's the word for that? To be deliberate in, in what moves we're making and what asks we're making of people. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that will continue to grow, and I want it to continue to grow. Um, so it's exciting. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, being here at the Marfan meeting and seeing how many people came to this meeting today was amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. we've had full rooms of people, and, and that's amazing. And people who have met people for the first time is amazing. I mean, yeah. And, and talking to Peter, I mean, Peter has the benefit of really longitudinal experience. And, and so he talks about this and then how he excited he is. And that makes me excited that he's excited. <laughs> and we're all just excited. We're just all excited. <laughs> and we're recording this, this po- podcast, I think. Yeah. <laughs> to talk about how excited we are. Yes. So please participate. Please join us. Please let's make a difference. Let's make this happen. Yeah, definitely. And I've been promoting that on my on my channel too because it is really exciting to just have this research study and rolling and getting all of that data together and like I want I was talking to Peter about it and it's like you know right now in the Facebook group we have like 340 something people in the Facebook group but it's estimated that there's Peter estimates what between four and six thousand people maybe five thousand people in the United States with this so like let's find those other people Mm -hmm. And get them involved and really just build it. I'm like, how do I do that? (laughs) I'm going to take a road trip (laughs) to Nevada or something or Nebraska and find people with vets. You know, it's interesting. 
but um, it's very exciting. It is exciting. And we do have to do on find ways to disseminate the information mm -hmm. to really reach broadly so that everybody knows that this is happening. And I, one of the avenues now is we have reached out to the genetic testing companies to say, please let people know that this is happening. And I think that will help us reach more people just that's so that they awesome. know that this is happening. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. So on a similar note, you know, reaching people about the Vets Collaborative, what do you think, what do you, like other than research, where, what can we do to reach doctors? Because I think it's a common theme that we're struggling with is that doctors are not aware of this, emergency rooms are not aware of this, and we don't get recognition fast enough. I'm excited about Project ECHO, which we had spoken with the Earless Downloads Foundation about recording. I think that would be one avenue to increase education. Another thing we need to do is the guidelines are written by societies. And as I mentioned, the Society for Vascular Surgery has been um, amenable for us coming up with guidelines as a group. Uh, so that's in the works. Uh, the other component is reaching other physician communities, not just vascular surgeons mm -hmm. or cardiologists, but reaching gastroenterologists and reaching um, general surgeons, and as well as emergency room physicians. So I think our next step in terms of bringing people into the collaborative of stakeholders is meeting those physicians and bringing them to the group so that they can disseminate information in their communities. Yeah. I think that will make a difference. I hope so. <laughs> I, I am sure it will. Peter and I were talking too. He was talking about um, like when you're a kid and you have the heavy bruising and you end up in like a pediatric hematologist, I think it is. Right. And they usually, you know, they get as far as like anemia and von Willebrands and all the clotting disorders. And then, you know, after that, if you're fine, you're fine. And then you, and then you go. So like reaching the hematologist too. I think really one of the things we were talking about today is this idea of, of sharing pictures from patients to show examples. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I try to take pictures and keep examples of illustrations, but I'm not very good at it or hasn't, haven't been aggressively pursuing pictures, if you will. But I think showing examples of bruising and, and having yeah. a visual representation of what things look like on physical exam would be helpful in educating people into what to look for, like the bruising example you just yeah. mentioned. Or like this is a picture of what acrogeria looks like. Right. Or something like that. Okay, so another thing that's come up, like we've had all of these conferences and meetings and stuff at the Marfan Foundation annual conference this weekend, which has been awesome. And something we talked about in one of the groups earlier was the idea of... Um, emergency surgery no longer being something that it should be relied upon for us. I think the common theme up until recently was, you know, don't operate on somebody with beds unless it's an emergency. Is that right? So it used to be thought that it is futile to operate because the tissue is weak, and that's in historical terms. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the earlier projects I did was with in collaboration with Dr. Jim Black, who was in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the first people that I've talked to about this. And, and his perspective, and I agree with this, is that you know, he had performed these prophylactic operations, if you will, in people in an elective way. Mm -hmm. And we analyzed that data and showed that elective operations had better outcomes. 
And it makes sense. I mean, in anything in vascular surgery that we do, whenever we operate in an elective setting, the outcomes are far better than if you wait for it to become an emergency. And in my mind, that should apply also to vascular airless downloads. Like, why wait for it to be an emergency for somebody to be in extremis and sick or has a rupture to operate when potentially we could plan something? And so part of that planning has to do with surveillance and understanding what is happening with the arteries and seeing if this is something we can operate on in an elective setting Mm -hmm. rather than saying we can't operate on at all. There are some circumstances where surgery is not the right answer, but that's not all circumstances. Right. And I have heard from patients where they've said that people have told them there's no point in looking because they're never going to have an operation. And I don't think that's entirely fair. I mean, there are things we can actually fix. Mm -hmm. And so in that circumstance, with the right setting, in the right environment, that can the outcomes can be favorable in that circumstance. So it's worth a discussion. So for people who live in more rural areas or who don't have access to a surgeon, say at like Johns Hopkins or UW or like one of the major medical centers that we know deals with a lot of patients with beds, um, are they able to contact the major medical centers to get advice? They should be able to. And most, uh, that's actually not unusual where people in the community can contact the quaternary level care centers. Mm-hmm. And even, I mean, we, for example, University of Washington have a community line where they can, it's a medical consultation line where anybody can call and reach a physician who is on call usually at that time and ask for, you know, for help or questions or direction in terms of what to do with patients. And that is a wonderful service to have. So I would imagine other communities have some support like that, like we were talking earlier today with the yeah. people who live in, in Nebraska, I believe. Arkansas? Arkansas, sorry, yeah. in Arkansas, yes. I mean, and, and so there has to be that support between academic centers and community centers to offer that backup plan. Uh, that's And then that's not unusual in vascular surgery at all. Okay. I was just wondering, like, I wonder how many of them actually use it. That's a great in question. In cases, you know? And maybe we had talked before about doing a survey as part of the collaborative of understanding the barriers to Mm -hmm. treatment in vasculitis. That was one of the themes that we were evaluating. And so that is a question. And we, we had talked about doing the barriers from the patient's perspective. And perhaps if that, you know, that comes up as a recurrent theme and probably will, then our next question is to physicians, you know, what are in their minds, what are their barriers? Uh, yeah. For caring for the, for people with rare diseases, we'll have to think about how to design <laughs> those questions. Uh, but the resources are available, and people are more than happy to help. And that was one thing I liked that you said today too um, was thinking about, you know, what if this patient didn't have beds? What would you do? Because I think a lot of doctors kind of just shut down immediately when you say you have this. They're like, oh, I don't see people with that, or I don't know anything about that. Can you make? Can you Yeah, this is a very important principle, and it's what Peter calls the usual care, right? There there are things that are standard of care in medicine that we do for all patients. And so if the discussion leads with, oh, I have vascular EDS, and it's followed by, no, I don't take care of vascular EDS, well, but you take care of people. And, And so it's important to say, well, let's take vascular EDS out of the equation for a minute. If anybody else showed up with this issue, 
how would you manage it? Mm-hmm. And because there are standard recommendations for how to manage these. And then the care for the vascular EDS patient will be modified to accommodate for that diagnosis. And again, routine care should be done in the community close to home for regular things. Yeah. And certainly in emergency settings, again, it has going to have to be close to home or transferred to the closest hospital because that's what we do in emergency settings. <laughs> and, and so there are, and, and for elective settings, people can go to the quaternary care level centers. So as a backup mechanism, but most physicians have the skills that they need to take care of emergencies and ordinary things for everybody, <laughs> you know, with the understanding that there are higher risks with vascular EDS. Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly shouldn't be a door a, a door closer. A door closer. <laughs> Is that a term? <laughs> it's like, you know, don't let the door. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, and, and what I told people today is that then if that is the response they're getting, they should say, okay, let's just take this off for the side. What would you normally do in this Forget circumstance? Forget that I have beds. I yes. didn't tell you. Yeah. Let me start over. What do you normally recommend for this? I have a cough. What do you normally recommend? That's awesome. Well, thank you for spending so much time with us this weekend and in the collaborative and with everything. I know that I think we all appreciate it. Well, I have appreciated it too. It's been an amazing weekend and it was an amazing meeting. Thank you. So thank you, Katie, for doing this interview. Yes. <laughs> and thank you, everybody, for listening. This was Staying Connected. Um, I have episodes coming out on the last Sunday of every month, and I usually talk to patients who have vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome or their parents if they're children. And this is a special episode with Dr. Shereen Shalhoub from UW over in Seattle. So thank you for listening and subscribe, and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>